If you will, if you'll open up to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Let's pray. God, my Father. God, I thank you so much, Father, for your Holy Spirit. God, that um, the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Scriptures, the, the Holy Spirit that has um, opened our eyes, God, that we, may, that we may repent, that we may receive the gift of faith. God, that, that gives us these gifts, Father, that, that will be manifest in our lives, Father, so that so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that right now that these, that these words will be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. God, that, that we would see them the way that you see them. And God, that, uh, that it would become part of us who we are. God, more so than it was before we heard them. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, to, to quickly review, you know, we've been on uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the command that we're given is to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit produces these nine virtues. And, and really, to be honest, uh, the way that these verses end, it seems that these aren't the only nine. It, it, it says so, against such things there is no law. So, that, so it's painting this picture of this is what the life of a believer should look like. That the life of a believer should, you should see love and you should see joy and you should see page, patience and peace. You should see kindness and goodness. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. You should see these things, but, but that there's so much that the list could go on. And, and so these are nine virtues, but they're, they're attitudes, they're attitudes that lead to action, that really manifest themselves in action. Things that we can tangibly see. That the love within, that it should be displayed by actions of love. And so the, the peace that you have within, you should see outwardly. And so the goodness within should be displayed for the world to see. And so, and so that's what we're really getting down to on, on really what is the essence of this scripture. So whatever's going on in the inside will show up on the outside. So, so to be concerned about, not so much to be concerned about the actual actions, that's not the focus, but actually the, the attitude behind the actions. So to be concerned about like what God is doing on the inside of us. All right, so that, so that we're not trying to manufacture goodness, but that, but that we want the goodness of God inside of us and that the goodness of God comes out. That we want the love of God inside of us so that the love of God can come out so that it will be authentic. So the law can't do that. The law cannot do that. And your own strength cannot do that. See, what happens, what, what Galatians 5.22 and 23 is saying, this is something that is supernatural. This is something that happens 
that is supernatural and from God. The Holy Spirit brings this about. Now, I don't say that as, as if it's something mystical. If you've got to go and do a, a certain thing so that you can get these gifts, the, it is very practical in terms of how we pursue them. How we pursue these, the fruit of the Spirit is very practical. We talked about it last time. Is that, you know, that His Word, He speaks to us in His Word. The more that you read about the love of God, the more that your heart will be transformed to it. It should. The more that we pray for the Holy Spirit, the more that we pray for peace, the peace of God, the more that, that our hearts should be shaped in that way around that fruit and that it will be evident in our lives. The more that we're in fellowship with brothers and sisters in the body, the more that we're going to see those things come out. And so it's very practical. So, so tonight about goodness, what is good? What is goodness? So goodness, to give you some words just to, that, that are synonymous, um, benevolent, profitable, benefiting others, when we think about goodness, describes active goodness, virtue, or excellence. It is high moral character reflected in being in both nature and effectiveness. And so, um, so here the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 28, this is, this is one that we hear a lot. Um, and it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for what? Good. We hear that all the time for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so there that word good, um, it doesn't say that it doesn't say that all things are good. It says all things are going to work for good. OK, and, and so but what good is may not be the definition we always had of good, especially before you're a believer. And, and I believe, you know, y'all have been in this church long enough. I mean, I don't have to I don't have to sit there and beat in your heads that suffering is good. I think you know that now. Now, getting that, like letting that idea um, like capture your heart and to live your life in that way. Maybe we aren't there yet. But I don't think I have to convince you that suffering can be good. We talk about that all the time, and it's all throughout Scripture. Now, we're going to talk about it again tonight, but, but not, not necessarily in a way to convince you, but in a way that, that, I, that I pray that your heart is captured by it, that, that you're convinced in a different way, not just with the mind, but with the heart, and, and, and that, you, that you buy it completely. If that makes sense. That, and so, so here, what is good? Well, God is good. Who is good? That's my next question. Who is good? God. In Luke 18, 18, a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know that verse always threw me at times because I mean I had I had some people that would kind of challenge me with that verse um, because you know you've got some people who don't think that Jesus is God and so on the surface this this verse might cause some problems. Now let's remember that Jesus never refused worship and in fact he did not say that he wasn't God. What he did in this verse was he what he did a lot. He asked the question in given an opportunity for a faith response. Okay, so so he he poses it. Why do you call me good? Right. Only God is good. There's opportunity. He is. He is God. It gives the opportunity. And so and so here, you know, Jesus Christ, good God, the father Good. What are we? Well, I think, again, that y'all have been in this church long enough that you know you're not, don't you? Yes, you know you're not. We're wicked. Okay? Our heart is wicked. It deceives us. And so, and so now when we place ourselves among other people that, that maybe, maybe our standard, you know, that we say, well, we think this is good, of course, Yes, if your standard is lower than Jesus, you might can call yourself good. But, but if your standard is Jesus, then then you're not. And and so and so here, you know, to to make sure that we understand what what good is. And uh, Barclay uh, writes about the difference between kindness and goodness. You know, last week we talked about kindness, and and there, you know, there all these all these fruit are really connected. And, and I believe really driven by faith um, and, and, and really, really connected to love. But kindness and goodness, um, you know, they're, they're really synonymous, I believe, uh, because kindness is, is going is to be brought out a lot of times from goodness. But let me explain a, a little bit, maybe a, a, a little bit of a, a difference between this defined uh, is virtue equipped at every point? Goodness. Virtue equipped at every point is how Barclay describes it. So what's the difference? The, the Greek word for goodness, and I'm not even going to try to say it, but just know that, that this is the Greek word. The way it's defined, might and could rebuke and discipline. Okay? And... Uh, but kindness, the way he puts it, can only help. And so, so it's like saying that Jesus, he shows um, goodness when he cleansed the temple. What did he do? Drives them out of the temple with a whip. But it's very good. He did something that was very good in nature when he drives those money changers out of the temple where they did not belong. But he shows kindness to the, the sinning woman who anointed his feet with oil. The, the Christian uh, needs that goodness. Um, and and I, I believe, you know, when Tony was speaking about it Wednesday night, he was really talking about, yeah, I think he was talking about really the same type of thing that, that I'm talking about here. Is, is that, you know, how can, how can you love and hate you know, how, how, can, how does that work together? That wrath and that love that God has. 
how does it work together? You know, and, and I think he hit the nail on the head Wednesday night. I hope that y'all got it. If y'all didn't, go back and listen to what he said Wednesday night, like on on the um on the podcast, because you know, I'm not gonna go as, as much detail as he did. But here it's the same concept with goodness. Is that sometimes uh the goodness within us that we're gonna be righteously angry. And that and that from that is going to cause us to act in in that type of way. That, that you know, where Jesus Christ, I mean, some might look at what he was doing at that time and they would not have called it good. But yet, what was he defending? The honor of God. And so, and so uh, we have to look, so many times I believe we look from our perspective and things may not look good. You know, it goes back to that Romans 8, 28. And, and we can't really see it because we're looking from the wrong perspective. And so, you know, that's the first step is that um, it's going to be hard for us to act as that vehicle of goodness if we do not truly believe that God is good all the time. I really believe that. It's going to be hard for us to be an instrument of goodness if we're not believing and living in a way that we trust in God's goodness. It's going to be really difficult. So, so here, we have to start seeing from His eyes and not our own. I want you to go with me to Nehemiah 9. Now, the first verse I'm going to read from Genesis, but I'm not going to ask you to turn there because y'all are pretty familiar with that verse and we're just going to stay there for that one verse and then we're going to be in Nehemiah 9 for a few minutes. But in Genesis 1.31... After God had created creation and, and finally man, right? Man and woman. Genesis 131, he says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So see, he makes this world, you know, his creation is good. Nehemiah, starting in verse 7, it says it like this. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham. Abraham was in a pagan land worshiping pagan gods and God sought him out. So he is good. Our God is good in that he seeks us out. And we have to understand that. You know, very first and foremost that, that God, he rescued us from the miry clay. That he opened our blind eyes, that we were uh, the worst, the chief of sinners. It is He that saw us out with His truth. And He brought Abraham, it says, He brought him out of Ur of the, of the Chaldeans. I mean, he is, uh, he is good in that He is our God. It doesn't, doesn't just save us, but He leads us. And He gave him the name of Abraham. It goes from Abram to Abraham. He is good in that he is your father. I mean, he gives him a new name. He cares for him. Gives him a new identity. And that's exactly what he did for you and I. 
He is good that He is our Father. In verse 8 it says, You found His heart faithful before you, and you made a covenant to give to His offspring. And I'm skipping a little bit ahead. And you have kept your promise. God is good in that He's a covenant keeper. In His Word that we can trust it. If He says He's going to do something, He'll do it. And so that we know that God is good, that He keeps His promise. And it also says this right after that, that for you, God, are righteous. Our God is good in the sense that He is holy. He is righteously good. And so, and so here in just this small passage, we see so many of His attributes of goodness. He's good in all of these ways. And so, and so as we read through the Bible, now I'm going to read a little bit more in Nehemiah 9, but as you read through the Bible, you'll see it. It'll start coming, it'll start coming alive to you if you've never seen it before. As you read through all these things, you'll start to see, wow, He's good in that, and He's good in this, and He's good in this. And when we start to trust in His goodness in all those areas, is that it starts to form our goodness. We start to see what good is. So that we might become it. So that our hearts might desire it. Instead of desire the wickedness. That we would desire His goodness. In verse 9 it says, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. And you heard their cry at the Red Sea. And so He's merciful. He's good in that He's merciful. Here they are a desperate people. You know, nowhere to go. That the, the Egyptian army has, has them cornered and about to slaughter them. And God is merciful that He is our rescuer. He says in verse 10, perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. Skipping ahead to 11. And you divided the sea. He is our deliverer and rescuer. He is good that He delivers us and He rescues us from our trouble. It says, You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of clouds you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. He is our light. He lights the path for us. He is good in that He lights our path. That He goes with us. That He doesn't forsake us. In verse 13, You came down on Mount Sinai and you spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. He is good because he speaks with us. He tells us what, what he wants from us. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He's given us his word. He is good that He speaks with us. 
It says in verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and and you brought water uh, for them out of the rock for thirst. And you told them to go in and to possess the land that you had sworn to them. Our God is good because he feeds us and he clothes us and he gives us what we need. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously. And stiffen their neck. And see, there, there we go. Right? It gives, gives us all these good things. And what do we do? I was, I was talking to a cousin of mine yesterday. And, um, and we were talking about, you know, doctrine, about God and, and, and what God has done in his life. And what God has done in my life. And, and we were both, we, we got, we both got stirred up talking about God, about what He's done for us, and and we talked about how in it something that that like if we would have been in the garden, like we would have sinned against God, and we know it. And one of the ways that we know it, we were discussing, was that even we know all this truth now. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us now, and there's times that we know that we're not supposed to do a certain thing, and what do we do? We do it anyway. Why? Because we're wicked. But yet He doesn't leave us. Yet our God is so good. And our Father, God, is so, he, He's not going to break His promise, and He's not going to lose one of them, and His Son's blood is so precious. Remember the son in the garden, what he prayed for you and I? He's not going to lose one of us. It's bought and paid for. To say that, that he could lose one of his own is to, is to spit on the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's to say that, it, that his sacrifice was inefficient. That he didn't do enough. But he did. He did more than. More than enough. And so it says that they stiffened their neck and they did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their necks. They appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. We are so like the Israelites but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. He is good because He is gracious and merciful, and He will not forsake His children. In verse 18, but even when they had made for themselves a golden calf, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, is what they declared, of His handmade image. And they committed great blasphemies. Verse 19, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds that lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them. We don't know which way to go. If His light burns out, 
then we lose our way. Thank God His light doesn't burn out and He will not leave us. If He left us for a moment, we would be lost again, but He will not leave us. He will not leave His children. But He is to light uh, for them the way by which they should go. Verse 20, You gave your good spirit to instruct them. He is good because He gives us the spirit to, for instruction. And you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them. He is our sustainer in the wilderness. And they lacked what? They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Verse 22. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. Skipping ahead, 23. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. He is good because He blesses us with children. And He blesses us with converts because they are our children. They are our family. He blesses us. He is good. Verse 25. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possessions of houses full of all good things cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Look, listen, if we're not convinced that He's good, we aren't looking around close enough. We aren't reading our Bibles close enough. It's every step of the way. We can't step to the right or to the left without stepping into His goodness. It's every bit of it. Every bit of it. If you love God, then everything that surrounds you is going to be worked out for your goodness. For good. And, and believe me, it is for your good. Not feel like good at times, but it is. And we got to believe that and trust in that. I mean, we... We have got to be a people that stops complaining and murmuring completely. Because every single complaint that comes out of our mouth is an accusation against God's goodness in your life. Do you believe that? Got to believe it. It's got to capture us. 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They still couldn't see it. And they cast your law behind their back and they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. When He warns us, it is good. It's good. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of your enemies. Do you believe that when He gives you into the hand of your enemies, that is for your goodness? That He is being good? He is who made the Israelites suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they did what? They cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. It is good. He is good. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of 
of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil against again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and they cried to you, you heard them from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Good. But the law wasn't enough, was it? And those saviors that he's talking about that saved them from their their earthly enemies was not enough, was it? The ultimate act, the what we cannot fail to ever realize, and that we can we can we cannot afford to come up in this pulpit and ever not mention is that our Father sent His Son. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 God so loved the world. Gives His Son. Why should we strive to be good? In Romans 15, 14, it says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, with all, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. It's, it's the fellowship. You're full, or you ought to be, you're full. And you can be full of goodness for God through His Holy Spirit. You yourselves are full of goodness and it spills over on them. That's what He was telling them. You're full of goodness and you're filled with knowledge. If we ever think for a moment when we come into this, to this, um, to this house of worship, this house where our brothers and sisters sit and meet, if we ever think for a moment that we're not supposed to go tonight, you know what I mean? Like that, like I'm, I won't miss anything. You're missing it all. You're missing the point. The point is that you have goodness and knowledge in you, or you should. So we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be filled before we come on Sunday morning. It's, it's not supposed to be that we're out of gas and then we look for Brother Tony to fill us back up. He's equipping us. But, it, but if we're running on empty, we, we are the ones. We are the ones that are at fault. It's not an empty tank of gas in and then he pumps the, the fuel back into us. It's a full tank ready for more so that whatever he gives us is just overflowing. If we're coming in on an empty tank just so we can get, you are missing the point. It's what you can give every single time. Say, well, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. What, what are you talking about? Look around you. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ that need you. They need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They need your kindness, your goodness, your peace, your patience. They need to see it. 
I need you to rub off on them. I need you to love on them. They need it. We all need it. We need to be that for each other. And it's a new experience for many people to see the strength of those convictions backed up by the love of that goodness. But that's how it has to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit should always produce. We're commanded to this goodness. It's not supposed to be optional. We're supposed to display it, demonstrate it. In Galatians 16 it says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. Do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. How are we doing good to one another? And we need to ask ourselves that question. Like, what am I doing to do good to my brothers and sisters in the faith? Am I? Am I, am I doing good to them? I have to remind my, my, my kids all the time. You know, are you being kind to one another? Like, is that how you want to talk to one another? Like, is that how you want to be talked to? Is that how you want to be treated? You know, are you being good to your brother and sister? You know, and, and I have to remind myself that because I'm not above it. Am I being good to this person? Am I being kind to this person? We always have to have a mind like Christ. Uh, so First Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Are we seekers of what is good? Are we chasing goodness? Are we chasing after it or have we settled? You have to chase goodness. For, at, for us as the church and for all people outside, we are to be known by our goodness, our kindness, our patience. These are the virtues. These are the fruit of the Spirit that should be on full display. Second, uh, Second Thessalonians in chapter 1, you know, the prayer of Paul in verse 11 says this, To this end also we pray for you always. That is why I pray that our God will count you worthy of your calling. Now that's your calling. The salvation is it. It says that to fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So what's the source of that? Like how do we get that? We talked about it earlier. It's God. It is supernatural. It cannot come from your own. You can't muster up real goodness. You can't muster up authentic goodness of God. It has to come from the inside. The only way it comes from the inside is from him is from God. It's from getting in His Word. It's from getting on your knees in prayer. It's from gathering with the believers, being instructed in the gospel, being discipled in the gospel. It's how it has to be. So, what's the end of all this? Where's it all going? Second Thessalonians one, verse twelve. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we to be good? Because it honors and glorifies the name of, of Christ, of God. Like we're to be good because He is glorified. He's worshipped. When, when you 
When the goodness of God comes out of you on display for the world to see, it is God who's glorified because of it. It's Him. So we put Christ on display. David said in Psalm 27, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I can relate to that passage. Because it's easy to see in this world the lack of goodness. But, but listen closely to what it says. He says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness. Like, if I didn't have any hope that there would be good, David's like, I'm done. I got to throw up my hands and I, I can't take it anymore. Life would have been too much for me if I didn't believe the goodness of the Lord would be dispensed. See, we should expect to see His goodness. Not only in the life to come, but in this life. You know, so, sometimes I think we're, you know, we know that, that it's going to all be good when we get to heaven. But are we looking for what He's doing good right now? You know, um, we should expect to see His goodness because of His promises in the Word. When we believe the Word and when we begin to pray, the Word should shape our perspective. Our perspective should change. And what we should, what you should start seeing is His goodness displayed in everything and everywhere. Just, just like when we read Numbers, it didn't seem like that it would be a good thing for Him to turn Israel over to their enemies. But it was the only way they would come back to Him. We have to be in the Word and diligent in looking for His goodness. Even when our circumstances seem to be to the contrary, we can say that our God is good. We see the faithful God to His people all throughout Scriptures, don't we? And we see a very good God all throughout Scriptures. So why would a person that believes that God is both good and sovereign? I want you all to think about that question for a second. Do you believe He's both good and sovereign? Why would a person who believes both, that He is both good and sovereign, that He is in total control, ever have the right to murmur and complain? Think close on that. Do we have that right? If we say that we believe God is good, and we believe that He is in total control of everything that happens in our life. Alright? Nothing passes through His hands without Him giving the okay. He is in control of it. Do we have a right to, to murmur and complain? Do we see our complaining and our murmuring and our worrying as wickedness? Do you see do you see your complaining as as wicked as wicked as pornography? Do you see your murmuring as wicked as un, as being unfaithful to your spouse? Do you see your worrying your worrying as wicked as murder, as hate? Because when we when we complain and murmur and when we worry and we're, and we're not believing that our God is good and faithful and in control, then what we're really showing by our actions, we do not trust God. We do not trust Him. 
We do not have faith that He is good. And we've got to buy into that. Does our good God deserve you to declare? Ask yourself this question. Does our good God deserve you to declare His goodness even in the midst of your trial and your pain and your suffering? Does He deserve it? Does He deserve for you to declare His goodness? Doubt in His goodness would say in the midst of poverty and sickness and pain, this is what doubt would say. How can this be your goodness, God? That's what doubt says. Is our faith in His goodness, where our faith, where our voice, where our heart can say, God, even in this despair, even in this poverty, I know that this is your goodness. I know you're in control. That it has to be. Even if you allow me to go hungry and starve to death, it must be right because you are good. Can we say that? Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that you in faithfulness have afflicted me. Faithfulness. His judgment's right. Spurgeon says it like this. Why let us still say, Lord, not I will, but yours be done. And let us kiss the hand that wields the rod as much as the one that bestows choice gifts upon us. Let us kiss that hand. Let us declare that his will be done. Because what he declares, you know, we started with, you know, he, he created this all good. Everything perfect. It's not perfect right now. But He is good. And He can work good in all circumstances. But this is what's to come. What good is to come? Revelation 21. This is where I leave y'all. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. For the believer, that is the goodness that is to come. A, a flawless goodness with Him. That He will be there. And that we will see Him face to face. For the unbeliever, the goodness of God to come is right. He's good in that. He is good even in that. It's sad for us to think about that. But our God is good even in His wrath. And, and so we pray for mercy and we pray that, that God will open up more eyes and I pray that He will use this church to do it. That we'll look up a year from now and every single person in here will have won another person to Christ. And that God will have used their life in such a way to bring them into the fold. That's what I pray. Get one, one, pour, pour into everybody you see, everybody you're in contact with. But, but man, pray for, pray for at least one that God would use your life to, to win their souls to God and, and use your life to disciple them and bring them into our family. 
Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. God, I pray, Lord, that we would see it, God, in every step of our life, Father. That we would recognize your goodness, Father. Trust in your goodness even when we don't see it, Father. That our faith would be strengthened by your word, God, to, to know that, that, you are, that you are pure and you are holy and you are righteous and you are good. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. It's all in his name we pray. Amen.